Well, what's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning. Hopefully you're having a great weekend. Um, almost, well, I guess it's almost three years ago now, uh, I was with uh, a buddy of mine, Matt Gildemeister. Uh, we went out fishing one Saturday morning, and when we got back to his house, I was getting in my car, and uh, I was getting ready to leave his house. Now I got a really nice car. It's a really souped-up, cool 2007 Saturn Ion, okay? By the way, if they name a car an Ion, you know it's small. Um, so I get in my car, and, uh, and I'm pulling out of the driveway. I'm looking both ways. I'm doing the responsible thing, okay? No car's coming that way. No car's coming this way. And as I'm backing out, what I failed to look for was Matt's mailbox. And as I'm pulling out, my front end is, is uh, swinging out, and I totally hit it, and the whole mailbox, like, flops over, which it shouldn't have flopped over that much. It wasn't put in properly, I'm sure. And... Um, <laughs> And as I'm pulling out, I'm like, I'm like, it's just one of those things. You ever have those things where you're just like, oh, why? You know, where it's like you just do something dumb. And it's like, man, if I could go back like five seconds, that would be really awesome. Or if you're like, man, if we were just, if the car was just six inches over, right, I would have seen it in my rearview mirror. Or if the car was just six inches over, I wouldn't even hit, have hit it even if I did see it. And you're just like, man, why is this got to happen? And then you have a choice to make, like a decision. It's like, okay, what do I do? Right? Do I just like take off and hope that no one saw it? I was pretty sure his wife saw me. Or do I, uh, you know, do I go and do the walk of shame? You go back to Matt and like, hey, Matt, I, uh, I smoked your mailbox. Do you need any help? You know, I'll help you put it back up, figure it out. And so, uh, so I took off as fast as I could. <laughs> and when I got home, I, uh, you know, I get out of the car and I'm doing the old, you know, like, just walk around. You're like checking it out. You're going, okay, what damage has been caused? What happened here? My bumper was like, it like pulled my bumper out, but I was able to kind of, you know, knock that baby back in. Good as new, almost. It had his, it had some scratches, but that's okay. It's a 2007 Saturn Ion, all right? Nobody cares about that. And I was able to kind of wipe off some of the paint from his mailbox um, off my bumper. And, uh, but the one thing that really bothered me was that in the middle of this bumper has like a, I don't know, if it's like an air intake or something. It's this big plastic piece that kind of runs the length of the bumper. And that was like hanging on by a thread. I'm surprised it didn't fall off on the way, on the drive back to my house. And so I took that off and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this, this in right. But I couldn't do it because all the clips were broke. You know how that goes. It's just, it's just kind of a mess. And so I got some zip ties. I couldn't figure it out there because it's just, it just messed up. And so um, it did not look good. You can see like the bottom part of my radiator. Like it's just not, it's just not a good look. And uh, I had to get going. So I'm like, you know what? I'll fix it tomorrow. You ever do that? Where you get involved with some project that should be really easy, but it's not really easy because it's life, you know? And, uh, and so you keep kind of pushing it off. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's awful. And so that's what I did. I kept pushing it off. Then the next day came. I'm like, ah, I'll do it. I don't got enough time. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Anyway, two weeks went by, and um, it took about two weeks of that car, or the way that it looked, again, not good look. You see all the, you see like the engine under there and stuff. It really bothered me for those two weeks. And then I kind of got used to it. That ever happened to you? You know, you're just like, ah, that's not a big deal. Who cares? You're supposed to, you know, it's cool, right? You see part of the engine, like, like that type of thing. And, uh, and then I'm thinking, you know, I don't think anybody even notices. Like, I'm the owner. I don't even notice that anymore. And it just becomes one of those things. Um, I ever, you know, I, I, 
I'm thinking nobody else is going to notice until like every four to six months, somebody always points it out like, hey, do you know there's like a thing missing under there? Like you're missing. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You saw that? Okay, you noticed that? It's a pain. Uh, that piece, by the way, is still sitting in my garage. I haven't put it in. It's been almost three years. Um, but what happened to me is I just got used to it. Right? Like I just, I just became, I just really what it was is I learned to tolerate it and it didn't bother me anymore. Now here at Grace, over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the seven churches in Revelation, and today we are going to look at a city, uh, we're going to look at a church in a city called Thyatira. Now this city was probably the most insignificant, um, smallest city out of all the seven, and the church probably within the city is probably the smallest church within the seven cities. But what's interesting is that God has more to say to this particular church than anybody else, and they have an issue. And that is that they have gotten used to sin in their life. What has happened to this church is they have become tolerant of sin. In their minds, it's just one of those things. It's like, man, I'll deal with that tomorrow. All right, I'll take care of that later. Um, and, and I'll, you know, this is just not a big deal. No one's really gonna notice anyway. And what we're gonna find out is that God hates it. He hates it. And so this is how it happened. Uh, we've been talking about John, actually, a lot this year. We went through uh, the whole entire book of John earlier this year. And uh, John's the guy who writes John. John was the guy who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, original 12 disciples. And uh, John and Jesus were pretty, they were pretty close in there. And so when John was, when, when he followed Jesus around uh, during those three years, uh, he was probably in his early 20s or so. When John writes this, John is at the end of his life. He's probably within his 90s. And uh, at this point in his life, he's been banished to this island called Patmos. This is over 60 years after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And at this point in history, the Roman government had been coming down hard on this new belief in this Jesus guy. All right, at this point in history, uh, Paul had been beheaded by Rome. Peter had been crucified and killed by Rome. James, James got thrown off a roof and he died. And uh, all the other disciples or all the other original uh, church leaders have already probably died at this point. And so John is the last remaining original church leader left. And John has been banished by the Roman government because simply because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Right? That's the reason. History tells us that uh, as John's living kind of in this prison camp on this island, that, uh, that he was probably working in the marble mines there. I mean, can you picture that just real quick? Let me just think about this. If you're like in your 80s or 90s, how would that be to wake up every morning and then spend your day lugging stone around in the mines? Probably not the most ideal situation, right? Right? Hey, you guys got your sleep this morning. Okay, yeah, okay, we got two ladies. Thank you. Okay, that's awesome. Go free mine. All right. And Tiffin, by the way, man, they respond quick. So, I'm just kidding, but not actually, okay. <laughs> and so this is how it happens. John tells us that one Sunday, he's on this island, he's doing his thing, and uh, he says, I was in the Spirit. Now, when he says, I'm in the Spirit, what he's talking about here is he's saying, I was, he was like transported, like he immediately was suddenly taken, if that makes sense, in the Spirit, on the Lord's Day, so on Sunday, and he says, and I heard a loud voice behind me, and it was like a trumpet. So what I want to do is I want you to imagine this. I mean, here's John. 
he's doing his thing, right? He's, it's a normal Sunday morning for him. He's sitting there reading the paper, eating Pop-Tarts, okay, getting ready to go lug some stone around all day because that's, you know, that's what he did. And uh, he's doing his normal routine, and all of a sudden, bam, he is in the throne room of God. And he hears a loud voice behind him. And he doesn't know how to describe it. I mean, he's just grasping for words. He was like, man, this, it was crazy. Like, like the voice, like if I was going to describe the voice, it'd be like, I don't know, like a trumpet. Like think of a trumpet had a voice. It was kind of like that, but not exactly like that. I mean, here's, he's, just trying to, he's just trying to figure this out. And he's like, and he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, man, and that voice came from behind me. And he says, it says, the voice says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Send it to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, which we're going to be looking at today to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And John's like, this voice is coming from behind me. So he says, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. I turned to see who was talking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. By the way, can I just say, this is one of the coolest passages in the entire Bible, which is why I could not skip it this morning. I had to do it. And, uh, and so I want you to, to picture this in your mind, all right? Do not miss this. He says, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Now, who's the Son of Man? Jesus, yes. Yeah, it's a safe church word, church answer, you know. What's it? Uh, Jesus? Yes, you got it. Good job for you. Um, here he is. He's describing, he's like, man, this was like Jesus. Now, remember, John and Jesus, they're cool with each other. Like, like, like they were really, really, really good friends. And he's like, it was Jesus, but also, like, not like Jesus that I had ever seen him before. I mean, here's Jesus. He's in all of his glory, something John has never seen. He says, this Jesus, Jesus, he was dressed in a robe with a golden sash like wrapped around his chest. And the hair of his head, he's like, man, it was white, like, like whiter than white. He's like, think of it as like white as wool. And he's like, nah, wool is kind of grayish. And he's like, no, no, think about it. It's like white as snow. Like that's white, even whiter than that. And he's like, in his eyes, man, his eyes were like, I don't know. His, his eyes were like a fire, like, like a fiery flame. It was crazy. He says in his feet and his skin, they were like fine bronze. It's fired in a furnace, like still glowing red hot. And he's like in his voice, dude, his voice, I don't, it's kind of like a trumpet, but it's also kind of like the sound of cascading waters. It's like, it was kind of like, like a giant waterfall or like, a, or like a giant tidal wave, just like a roar in his voice. And it had authority with it. And that's the person who's talking to me. He says he has seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth. He's talking about the truth that comes out of his mouth. The Bible refers to it as a sword. He says, and his face was shining, not just any old sun. It was shining like the sun. It was shining at the sun, like in full strength, like the brightest sun has ever been. I mean, here's John. He's trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get us to picture it. Can you picture this? Okay. All right, or can you attempt? Maybe I should say that. Can you attempt to picture this? I mean, think about it. This is John. Again, John was super close to Jesus. Actually, John writes, in the Gospel of John, which is just an account of Jesus' ministry here on earth, John says he's the disciple who Jesus really loved. Like Jesus loved all the disciples because he's Jesus, right? He's like, but me, he really loved me. So John and Jesus, we know John's one of Jesus' like inner three. Uh, he hasn't seen Jesus for over 60 years. He, he, he hasn't seen him. And he turns around just one Sunday morning, you know, doing his thing. And there's Jesus, his friend. And what's interesting is, like, when I see a friend that I haven't seen for a long time, I'm just like, hey, man, what's up? How's it going? You know, how's life treating you? How's the kids? Like, that type of thing, you know? Um, John doesn't do any of that. Like, he doesn't go and say, you know, hey, Jesus, where you been? He doesn't go, and I know some of you guys are huggers, you know, where you're like, oh, you know, 
I've seen some of you ladies, that's like what you do. Hey, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do like the man hug. We do the two taps, you know, that's enough. Uh, He doesn't do that with Jesus. He doesn't go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, man, I've been meaning to say this. I've been meaning to shake your hand. Hey, thank you for dying for me. He doesn't do that either. Right, here's John. What he does is he turns away, or he turns around, and he sees a white-haired, fiery-eyed, glowing skin, sun-shining face, Jesus. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He drops. He doesn't know what to do. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes I'll talk to somebody, you know, and they're like, you know, someday when I get to heaven, I got some questions for him. You know, you heard that before? Like, he's got some explaining to do, the man upstairs. He's got some answering to do, you know, like that type of thing. And every time I hear that, I'm like, nah, you don't know who you're talking about. Because I don't think, I don't think you'll be able to get the words out of your mouth. I don't think you'll even be able to stand. You will drop to the ground like a dead man getting ready to pass out. See, here's the deal. You only got two options when it comes to Jesus. Two. You can bow or you can bow. It's the timing that's everything. It's true. It's the timing that matters. Now, I don't know how you picture Jesus. Um, for some reason, I don't even know why this is a thing. For some reason, we all, like, or we grow up, I don't know, we, we view Jesus like this soft, petting lambs, long flowing hair, you know, gentle, meek, weak type guy, if we even want to call him a guy, you know, like that type of thing. Like, that's how we kind of view Jesus naturally for some reason. Or, or some of us, maybe we view Jesus like, I don't know, he's an old man in the sky who just kind of like, kind of like a Santa Claus type figure. And uh, he kind of <laughs> chuckles when we do something wrong. Oh, these little people, you know, Christians. Like that type of thing, my children. That ain't Jesus. It ain't. This is Jesus. That idea that you have in your, that's not Jesus, this is Jesus. That's not Jesus, this is Jesus. So whatever idea that you have in your mind of who Jesus is and what Jesus looks like, replace that puny image with this. Because this is who he is right now, right here. See, Jesus, he's standing there. He's talking to John. John turns around. He falls to the ground when he sees him. And then Jesus reaches out to him. He's like, hey, man, don't be afraid. Come on, step up. I want you to see what's going to happen. I want you to see what's going to happen. I want you to write this stuff down. And so that's what John does. John writes down what he sees, and he writes down what he's told. That, by the way, is the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. Now, originally, he's writing this document. It's not even like a book. It's not even like a letter, really. He's, he's writing this to the seven nearby churches that are uh, literal, real churches. Actually, they're right now located in modern-day Turkey. It wasn't Turkey back then. It was all the Roman Empire. But uh, here's John. John's sitting on this island called Patmos. He's like in, in prison. You know, he's, he's been banished there. And then here's the churches. And uh, today, we're looking at Thyatira. Thyatira is about 64 miles northeast of Smyrna, which is the city, the town, that we talked about uh, last week. And, uh, and the, right now, I mean, it's still there. You can still see, like, some of the ruins of the old Thyatira. This is some of the ruins of the buildings that were there at the time that this letter was written. Um, today, there's, a, there's still a city there. It's modern-day Akasar. Uh, it has over 100,000 people living in it, so it's a pretty big place. But, um, but back then, Thyatira was known for their agriculture. And, uh, and not only that, but it was also known for their clothing manufacturing, 
okay? Like, that's what they did. Um, not only that, but they were also known for their, like, purple dye. They had this, like, shellfish in the area that they would, like, I don't know, squeeze it. I don't know what they did. But somehow, the shellfish, they would make this uh, purple dye. And a lot of times, the, they would combine the purple dye with the cloth thing. And so they were big, no, you know, known for their, like, purple cloth. Like, that was a huge thing that was kind of a royal color throughout the empire, and so it was a pretty big deal for them. In fact, uh, if you read about in Acts chapter 16, I believe, um, Luke, who's writing that, he mentions that when Paul is in this huge city called Philippi, which is pretty far away from Thyatira, that he meets this lady called Lydia, who becomes a member of the church. She gives her life over to Jesus, and uh, Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth in Philippi, but Lydia was from Thyatira. Okay, and so this was a big thing. So Thyatira was a blue collar, like a working man's town. Like that's just, that's just what it was that was really big into worshiping their fake gods. In fact, they had huge temples built. They had temples to Apollo. They had temples to Artemis. And this just was not an easy place for a Christian to be, to live. It's not easy to be a Christian here. And so Jesus says, he says, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Now, I believe you guys have heard about the, this word angel. Uh, it, was, oh, it literally means messenger. And so what, in the context here, what he's talking about is he's saying, hey, write to the church or write to the, to the pastor or to the, to the messenger or to the leader of the church in Thyatira. Now, it's not just for the pastor or the leader. This is for the entire church. He says, thus says the Son of God, the one who, whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine Bronze. By the way, when Jesus um, introduces himself here, like this ain't meek, weak Jesus, okay? This is, he sees everything here. When Jesus introduces himself this way, it's like you better buckle up because he ain't messing around. He says, I know your works. Now this word know in the original language, in the Greek language, this is a very personal word. So it's not like, hey, I read about your works or, hey, someone told me about all the good stuff that you do. Congratulations. No, it's, it's not that. He's saying, no, I see you. He's like, I've been watching. I've been studying. I know your works. I know you. He's, and then he lists them off. He says, like, your love and your faithfulness and your service and your endurance. And he says, and I know that your last works are greater than the first. I know that you are doing better and better and better. Here's Jesus. He's saying, I know you guys. You guys have a great reputation. You serve. You feed the poor. You, you're really, really, really good at doing the spiritual thing. It's like this idea, like, hey, if I asked anybody in Thyatira, like, hey, what do you think about the church? They would all be like, hey, man, those are good people. Those are loving people. They accept everybody. They're so loving. They're just, they're just great people. And this is good stuff. And what's crazy about it to me is here's God of the universe, by the way, who acknowledges it who's perfectly holy, he's telling this church, he's saying, hey, you are really good at doing good stuff and you guys are getting better and better. When it comes to doing good, this is a church doing good stuff. This is a church that we should aspire to be, right? I mean, they're growing. They're doing more. They're becoming better people. Something that we should all, as Christians, not everybody else, not everybody in this room is a Christian, I'm sure, but, but those of us who have given our lives to Christ, I mean, that's what, that's what we're all about. Like, that's what we should be working on within our own lives. And here's God, and God's saying, I see it. And he says, but I have this against you. 
Ain't that like Jesus to find something wrong, you know? You can't hide anything from him. He's going to see it. He says, you tolerate, this is what I got, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, what is he talking about? Who's Jezebel? Who's this woman? You tolerate, what's her deal? What's her problem? What Jesus is doing here is he's actually referring all the way back to the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, at one point in history, um, Israel had a king, is an evil king. His name was Ahab, and he had a wife who was a queen named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, she was just like bad, like she was evil. She was the worst of the worst. I mean, she had done <clears throat> terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. She worshiped fake gods. Right, she got actually the entire nation to follow her into worshiping fake gods. Hey, leave the real God. Why don't you come worship my fake gods? Uh, she was one of the, I mean, she was one that went and she, she murdered every single one of God's prophets that she could find. Right? She was after Elijah at one point. Actually, for, for most of her life, she was after Elijah. She practiced witchcraft. Um, she was totally okay with like sacrificing children to her fake gods. I mean, this is like bad stuff. Like again, straight evil. By the way, if you're pregnant, I'd probably steer clear of this name. You know what I'm talking about? Just saying. Um, not a great name in Jesus' book. So what Jesus is doing here is he's referring to Jezebel, not saying that it's her actual name. This isn't the actual lady's name within the church of Thyatira that's causing issues. Right? He's saying, no, 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 you have a Jezebel in your church. It's the same situation. And this isn't just a member. This is a leader just like the queen. And she calls herself a prophetess, meaning she's saying, hey, God told me to tell you, All right? She speaks, she claims to speak for God. Sometimes that happens where someone will come up to me and they're like, hey, I just wanna let you know, God told me to tell you. And usually it's at church and usually it's like, change this song or something like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. God really cares that much about that. And you're like, God didn't tell me, so I don't know. That's what she claims to be. She's like, hey, I speak for God. That's what she claims. And she teaches from that and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, here's the situation. You gotta understand some of the cultural context of what exactly is going on here. Um, Thyatira was big into like clubs and, and picture it as like really unions. That's how we would picture a union. Uh, for their workers. And so each, uh, um, each industry would have a union that supported their industry. So all the wool workers, and again, they're all about cloth there. All the wool workers would have, a, would have a union. The leather workers would have a union. The dyers would have a union. The potters would have a union. The bakers would have their own union. All, they had all these unions. In fact, Thyatira, even though it was a pretty small town in comparison to all these other huge cities, um, they had more commercial unions than any other Roman city. So more, the most in the world. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty big deal within this town. And so for them, if you wanted to move up or if you wanted to develop status in your field, you had to join a union. And these unions had a few problems. Number one, the unions, they all like claimed a guardian god. Now Rome had like just tons of gods and so they go, okay, well, let's pick that one. That's our god. And they would, they would worship that god together. Uh, if you wanted to be along with the to belong to the union, you gotta meet all these expectations. You gotta worship that union God. You had to attend the festivals and union feasts. Right? You had to go to the parties and stuff like that. Um, at these parties, what they would do is they would worship the God. They would sacrifice some animal to the God. And then they would butcher that animal and they would eat the animal for a feast. 
And what it was looked at upon or what they believed is like, okay, we sacrificed this animal to the God. Now the God is putting it on the table as a gift to us. That's so nice of him. That's awesome. And so that's what they would do. And so not only that, at these, at these feasts or parties, would they have to worship these fake gods, which is the eating meat sacrificed to idol thing. Not only that, but after the feast, they would go do, let's just call it a bunch of sexual stuff together, okay? Um, everybody would just go and do their thing. And so it was frowned upon to skip that. Okay, they're like, well, you definitely got to go to the after party. That's real good. Is that their type of thing? And so if you were a Christian, and if you wanted to belong in this city, and if you wanted to develop status in the city, or if you wanted to advance, you had all this pressure to be a part of the union, which everybody pretty much was a part of some sort of union or club in this way. And so here, this church, they have an influential lady helping lead this church who is literally, if you think about it, using God... I speak for God, saying stuff like, hey, he doesn't care if you worship those fake gods. Why would God care about that? You don't have to mean it. Or, hey, he doesn't care if you have sex with anybody afterwards. That's totally cool. That's just being like a good member of your union. You know, that type of thing. That's actually the best way to represent Jesus. It's a, that's the loving way. Okay, you should, you should love and love everybody. You can't, you can't tell them they're wrong. That, that's, that's messed up. And what's worse is that the church is allowing it to take place. She's allowing her to hang around and influence people. See, this church right here, Thyatira, this church was highly effective in allowing people to see them as a place where they are cared for and loved, which is good, but not a place where people biblically were convicted of sin in their life, which is bad. So they didn't want to hurt people and they didn't want to offend anybody. But this church, you know, they valued being inclusive, which we should all value. We want, this place is open to anybody. We want anybody to come here. But in an effort to be in, an inclusive church, they gave up their biblical identity. And I don't think this church is like promoting this lady. They're just not fighting it either. They're tolerating it. They're tolerant of her. See, tolerance was big in their culture. I think we could all agree that tolerance is big in our culture now, right? Okay, huge. We hear about it all the time. You gotta be tolerant. Um, can I just say one thing? Tolerance is not a biblical value, all right? Can I just like clear, like clear the air there? Let's just clear this up right now. Hear me again. Tolerance is not a biblical value. Love is, okay? Tolerance and love are not the same things. They never have been, okay? Don't let the world convince you that those are the same things. We are, to be, we are not to be tolerant of each other. We are to love each other. We should never be okay with sin in each other's lives as a church, and even more specifically and more importantly maybe, in our lives. But we are. See, if you're dealing with some sort of sin, which, by the way, we all are to a certain extent. But let's say if you're dealing with something specific, maybe it's an alcohol addiction, maybe for you it's porn addiction, maybe it's uh, anger issues, maybe, you know what, maybe it's just laziness. Do you realize that's a sin? All right? Maybe it's pride for you or me, right? Like we struggle with these things. And I think those sins probably, you know, somewhere in line, I think that probably includes 
most of us, if not all of us in this room, okay? That's probably the biggest things that our church is dealing with. And you're struggling with that, and you're okay with it, meaning you have no plan to stop. Like, you are not dumb, okay? You know it's wrong, and you know it breaks the heart of God, but it just doesn't break yours. Jesus is saying, that's an issue, You've become tolerant. Even if you know it's wrong, you've become tolerant of it in your life. You've become used to that sin in your life. And in fact, maybe for you, you've been dealing with it for so long, like that's the thing, you just don't even notice anymore. It's like my bumper on my car. Like I look at it, I'm like, oh, that looks good. But it, you know, I don't even notice it anymore. Like you tolerate sin in your life. See, here's the deal. Sin is not good for you. You realize that? Sin is not good for you. In fact, it's kind of like a, a beach ball. You ever take a beach ball like this and um, you're in a pool or whatever and you put it underwater? You know what I'm talking about? We've all done that. You can imagine that. You put it underwater. You can leave it underwater. Like it's not hard. You can leave it underwater for a long time. And that's really, honestly, if you think about it, that's what we do with our sin. We don't let it at the surface because we don't want anybody to know because we hide it. And we push it down, and we can keep it down for a long time. And for a lot of us, we've just become tolerant of it. Like, here's a sin, and it becomes, honestly, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger because sin always leads to more sin. And we keep it underwater, or we keep it down. We don't, we don't let it surface. We don't get rid of it, okay? We don't stop doing it. It's there. And uh, what we do is we just keep it down, and we become tolerant of it. It's almost like we forget that we're holding this thing down. And eventually, I can promise you, it's going to come up and it's going to smack you in the face. Because that's what it does. Every time, always, that's what sin does. And so we can love and we can accept everybody, which is what we should do. But we are not to tolerate sin. In our lives first, but also in each other's lives. And honestly, if you think about it, not tolerating sin in each other's lives, that's the most loving thing that you can do because sin is not good for you. See, sin never finds itself satisfied until it has destroyed you. That's how sin works. And Jesus is saying, that's a problem for me. The problem is, you're okay with sin, I'm not. And that's what this church was doing. I mean, this church was allowing this lady to promote big time, intentional, willful sin in the name of tolerance. And these Christians were following this lady. And so this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, I gave her time to repent. Here's Jesus. Here's this lady who's doing all this bad stuff and leading people to do all this horrible, terrible stuff. And even this lady, she's like, man, I, get, I'm, I keep giving her chance after chance after chance. Even here, he's not quick to punish her. He's saying, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. She won't stop. She refuses to repent. She refuses to change. He says, so this is what I'm going to do. Jesus says, look, I will throw her into a sickbed and with those that commit or and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. I just want to let you know affliction equals bad. We understand that? Okay, affliction is bad. It's, it's punishment from God here. He's saying, I'm gonna punish them. Because that's good for them. So they stop because sin is not good for them. He says, unless they repent of her work. So he's saying, All right, she, her, I'm gonna take her health from her because I own her health. I don't owe her health. He doesn't owe us health. 
He's like, I'm taking it. She's going to be sick. And her followers, those people who have followed her, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's going to be some bad stuff that's going to naturally happen in their life, and I'm going to allow it to happen. He's like, but at any point, if they repent, if any point they decide to change, man, I'll, I'll relent. Chance after chance after chance. That's the love of God and the mercy of God right there. He says, and then I'll strike her children dead. Now, moms, just to throw this out there, he ain't talking about your like baby children or anything like that. He's talking about the people who are following her. All right, he's talking about, it's almost like, if you picture it, like spiritual children. He's saying, I'm taking them out of the game. God owns our lives. He doesn't owe us another day. And with these people, he's like, it is better if I just pull them out, which is what he's threatening to do. He says, and when I do that, he says, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines the minds. That should freak you out a little bit, Christian examines your minds, he knows your every thought, and he knows our hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So here's Jesus, and he's talking like this, and this is the type of talk that we don't like to think about, we don't like to hear about. I mean, I feel like a lot of us as Christians, I mean, we, um, we view God's wrath or God's anger, which are real deals, okay? God is a good, loving, angry God. That's who he is. This is what we see in the Bible. But it's like the wrath of God is like an attribute of God that we think like if that gets out there, like if that gets exposed, it's going to give God bad press. You know, like that's how we think. I think a lot of us, we view ourselves almost as God's um, marketing team, you know, where it's like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that God because we're, we're on your side here. We're on your team. And, uh, and this, this is just not good. It's not the press that we're looking for for you right now. And so what do we do? Right? We always talk about God's love. And by the way, churches all over the area, this is, I mean, we have, we have tolerated and we have, you know, we ref, churches refuse to talk about this stuff. So we talk and we sing about God's immense love. I mean, think about it, even today. I'm not, it, God's love is huge. Like, I'm all about God's love. I appreciate God's love. Um, even today, we, we sang, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us. It's true. Like, we should all be, be all about that. But what we don't see ever is we don't hear, for God so wrathed the world that he gave us. But it's equally as impressive and it's equally as true. The Bible's not afraid to mention God's wrath. The Bible mentions God's wrath over like 600 times. See, God has righteous, good, loving, holy wrath. And this lady and the people that follow her are about to experience a tiny portion of that because they are tolerant of sin and because the church is tolerant of her. Although not everybody has gone along with it. He says, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who don't hold to this teaching, right? You hear this and, and these people are tolerant of it, but they haven't followed her. He says, you haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan. That is funny because here's these people that had followed this lady, had followed this Jezebel. And what do they think? Because she says, hey, God told me to tell you this is a secret from God. They thought they had some secret knowledge of how to grow deeper with Jesus. But in reality, they had dove deeper into the things of Satan, Jesus is saying. Satan is tricky. Can I also just say this? That Satan's our enemy. All right, the lost around us who don't share our values and are controlled and manipulated by sin and have bought into, let's say, the secrets of Satan that Jesus is talking about right here, they are not your enemy. 
They are not our enemy. Satan's the enemy. When you realize that, and we realize that Satan is real, and that he is our enemy who hates us, it really changes everything. You don't view the lost around us as our enemy. We view them as the prize. We try to do whatever we possibly can to help them out of that. He says, I'm not putting any other burden on you. He's talking to the people who have resisted. He says, only hold on to what you have until I come. He says, the one who conquers, or the one who resists tolerating sin and who keeps my works to the end, he says, I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule with an iron scepter and he will shatter them like pottery just as I have received this from my father. What he's talking about is he's talking about a future time which he's gonna describe actually at the end of the book where he's saying Jesus is gonna come back and it's, it's gonna happen. It hasn't happened yet. He's saying he's gonna come back and he's gonna rule here on the earth as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he does that, guess what our job is? To help him rule, all right? Sounds pretty awesome, right? Something that we should be looking forward to. Jesus is saying, yeah, look forward to this. It's gonna be sweet. I hope I have a pretty large portion to rule. That would be awesome. Maybe Ohio, that would be great. Um, seriously, though, we get to rule and help him rule. And he's saying, I give that to you. You'll, you'll, you'll get that. He says, I will also give him, he's talking to us that, that stay away from tolerating sin. He said, I'll also give him the morning star. Now, what's the morning star? In Revelation, the morning star is always him. He's saying, not only will you get to rule and reign with me, which is awesome, he's like, you get me. You get to be with me. He says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. See, here's Jesus. He's talking to the few who take sin seriously. He's like, guys, this life, man, this ain't it. This isn't it. He says, I'm coming. And someday you'll get to reign with me and be with me. Someday you get me. So you hold on. You got this. That's who we should want to be. And so what do we do? Well, we as a church are to go live our everyday life battling against sin and we're supposed to deal with it together. It's not a solo thing. And so we struggle. We all struggle. I struggle. You struggle. God's calling us to struggle well. He's calling us to fight back. He's saying push back against that. You have an enemy that's coming after you. You push back. Do not tolerate sin in your life. And do not tolerate sin within your brother or sister's life. Here at church, you point that out and you help them get past it. And someday Jesus himself will reward us. We'll get to rule and reign with him. We get to be with him. And that's something we should be looking forward to. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. And some of this stuff is like difficult. Just in the fact that it's not stuff that we like to think about or hear about much. But it's equally as true. God, we thank you for loving us. But we also thank you for your, your power, your majesty, your wrath even, your righteous wrath. God, we, 
We thank you for being so good, better than we could ever understand. Lord, you owe us nothing, but you're promising to give us everything. I don't quite understand it. I don't get it, but I thank you for it. God, help us to go throughout this week and Lord, help us to resist the sin in our life. Help us not to be comfortable with it or tolerate it. Help us to run from it. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.